Hello and welcome to What's the Story Ghost? I am your host, Annette. And I'm Stephen. And we are on episode 8 today. Stephen, do you know anything about the Winchester Mystery Home? I have a funny feeling it's to do with the Winchester pew pew gun thing. Is that because you saw my notes? It's a bit because you saw my notes. So as usual, I will pop the references or sources into the description. There was quite a lot. This episode is going to be a little on the long side. Um, mostly because I love the story and also because there's a lot in it. So will we crack on? Crack, crack. Perfect. When buying a new home, one looks for two to four bedrooms, one to three bathrooms, a family-sized kitchen, garden that has sun all day, good school district and not too long commute to work. What about a 161-roomed home consisting of 40 bedrooms, 13 bathrooms, 6 kitchens, 10,000 panes of glass, 2,000 doors, 40-plus staircases, 17 chimneys, 2 ballrooms, 2 basements, 3 elevators, trapdoors, secret passages, a skylight in the floor, and 47 fireplaces, 4 of which are in a room wonderfully named the Hall of Hell. So an all-encompassing fun house of 24,000 square foot. This is the brainchild of Sarah Winchester. Sarah Lockwood Pardee was born September 5th, 1839, and named after her older sister whom she'd never met because she passed before Sarah was born. She grew up in New Haven, Connecticut, with her mother, father, sisters Mary, Estelle, Isabel, Nettie, and brother Leonard. She time connecting with other children her age and found socializing difficult even with her siblings. She preferred to spend her time watching the craftsman in her father's mill working and fell in love with architecture. By the time Sarah was 23, all of her sisters were married, so her parents decided it was her turn, and they introduced her to the son of a family friend, William. They had a lavish wedding in September 1862. She was thrilled. Not only was he handsome, she also knew that he would one day inherit his father's clothing company and they could live comfortably without worry buy a nice house and have lots of babies. But right after they got married, the happy couple were cruelly struck with a string of bad luck. In 1862, the Civil War was in full swing. Sarah's brother-in-law was severely injured in battle, causing stress to the entire family. Not to mention the war disrupted both Sarah's and William's father's businesses. To make matters worse, William's two-year-old nephew died from a mysterious illness. His sister died following complications from childbirth and less than three weeks later, her newborn baby died too. So much grief in such a short amount of time made it nearly impossible for William and Sarah not to stress despite wanting and trying to start their own family. Finally, in 1865, Sarah found out she was pregnant. The family was overjoyed. Some good news at last, after such tragedy. She gave birth in June of 1866 to her daughter Annie, but as Sarah struggled to nurse and her baby wasn't able to properly digest her milk, tragically Annie passed away at less than six weeks old. Sarah was distraught and it was made worse by the common belief at the time that unbaptized babies like Annie were condemned to eternal damnation. With that grief and guilt hanging over Sarah, it's no wonder that Annie would be the only child that Sarah and William would ever have. Forward now to 1873, and at this time William's father, Oliver, shrewdly bought out a nearly bankrupt revolver company and hired a mechanic to create the world's first repeating rifle. The Winchester Rifle Model 73, known as the gun that won the West, was released. The Civil War was over, but now was the time people were moving out west in droves. 
conflicts between settlers and indigenous people who rightfully owned the land brought a high demand for guns and the family's wealth exploded. Unfortunately, that was not the end of Sarah's acquaintance with loss and grief. In May of 1880, Sarah's mother passed away. In December of the same year, her father-in-law, Oliver, died after a stroke. And then in March in 1881, her husband, William, died from tuberculosis. Sarah had no idea how to cope and became even more withdrawn than she was before. She inherited roughly 20 million, which is approximately 563 million today, as well as 50% of the Winchester Arms Company, which left her with a continued income equal to $1,000 per day, which is about $28,000 per day today. Struggling with the loss of her husband and daughter, Sarah sought the advice of a medium, hoping perhaps to get advice from beyond as to how to spend her fortune or what to do with her life. But through the medium, she spoke with William, who told his widow that their tragedies were as a result of the blood money the family had made off the Winchester Rifles. Around 1886, Sarah contacted an old business associate of Williams named Ned Rambo. She tells him that she wants to settle somewhere but isn't sure where. Her preference would be somewhere warm, with a lot of sunshine, to which Ned exclaims that he has just the place for her. Ned shows her a ranch in Santa Clara Valley that is for sale. It's surrounded by luscious fruit farms and is pretty isolated, so just what Sarah is looking for. The home reminds her of Lenara Alavesa, a beautiful valley in Spain she and William once visited. She purchased the eight-room unfinished farmhouse and named it Lenara Villa. A bit small for her liking, but it was on 45 acres, which meant she could expand. And she did. In the first eight months, she turned the eight-room farmhouse into a 26-room home. But this expansion wasn't for family or guests. She does convince her sisters to move out to California, but buys them their own homes. Her niece Marion, however, must hold a special place in her heart, as she's the only person who's ever allowed to come and live with her in Nevada Valley. Clearly, Sarah had an ever-changing vision she believed no architect would ever attempt, let alone understand, so she did all the planning herself. She drew the rooms that were to be added on tablecloths, bits of paper, and anything that was convenient. As a result, there was no master plan, there were no blueprints. The home contained numerous oddities such as stairs to nowhere, windows overlooking other rooms, and a door with a 13-foot drop. She built a third floor and a fourth, and by the end of the century, the home had a tower that hit seven stories tall. Environmental psychologists have theorized that the house's odd layout itself contributes to the feeling that it was, and perhaps still is, haunted. It said that the psychic Sarah met before moving out west was the one who advised her on how to make amends to the spirits that haunted her. By continuously building and changing the house, the sound of constant construction would keep the spirits at bay. So, if the house was never finished, no ghost could settle in it. So Sarah built a seance room. It was here that she would try and contact good spirits. Some believe the spirits would give her guidance on the next changes to make to the home. Others believed the confusing layout was on purpose to confuse the spirits so that they couldn't follow her. The odd part about this room is that it only had one entrance but had three exits. So for years Sarah would build and build and renovate and if the project was not going the way she had imagined it, she'd have her staff tear it down and start again. If anyone set foot in the home they could tell that no expense had been spared in this Queen Anne late Victorian style home. Gold and silver chandeliers hung from the ceilings above hand-inlaid parquet flooring. 
Dozens of artfully stained glass windows created by Tiffany & Co. dotted the walls, including some designs by Lewis Comfort Tiffany himself. One window in particular was intended to create a prismatic rainbow effect on the floor when the light flowed through it, but the window ended up on an interior wall and unfortunately this effect was never achieved. Another window was beautifully designed with a Shakespearean quote. Even more luxurious than the fixtures was the plumbing and electrical work. Rare for the time, the Lanada Villa boasted indoor plumbing, including coveted hot running water, forced air heating throughout the home, a rare horizontal elevator, and push-button gas lighting. As Sarah got older and due to her debilitating arthritis, special easy riser staircases were installed as a replacement for the original steep construction. This allowed her to move through her home freely, as she was only able to raise her feet a few inches high. Another unique feature was a custom-built shower as Sarah was finding it more and more difficult to climb in and out of the tub. The home was lacking for nothing. But Sarah never did invite anyone to the home, not family or neighbours. Even President at the time, gun-loving Theodore Roosevelt, was met with lock eights when it was said that he specifically came to see the Winchester heiress. So all people could do was speculate. Some assumed that she just wasn't having people over until the home was finished. Others had a more sinister theory, believing that she was superstitious. Sarah was obsessed with the number 13, and it's evident in many of the features around the house. Many of the glass doors have 13 panels. Many rooms have 13 windows. The kitchen sinks have 13 drain holes. The gas chandelier has 13 lights. All the stairs except one that has 42 steps have 13 steps. Out of the 13 bathrooms in the home, only one was functional in an effort to confuse any ghost wishing to haunt a spigot. Furthermore, she would sleep in a different room every night and use secret passageways to get to and from each room so that the ghost could not follow her. Sarah believed as she stopped working on the house, she would meet an untimely fate just like the rest of her family. So she kept building and building and building. The only people who had regular access to the home were the steady stream of employees. Despite questions from the locals about the house, the staff would never speak a word about the home. And Sarah expected hard work from her staff, but paid anywhere from one third to 50% more than the going rate. Room and board were covered, and she didn't act like she was upper class. She was so good to her staff, and they were so loyal to her. On the rare occasion Sarah did venture outside the villa, she was always in black. Black gown, black gloves, black veil. People thought she was in forever mourning. She truly would never love another like William, and she never did remember. In 1906, Sarah's project was tested when a massive 7.8 earthquake hit the Bay Area, the second biggest earthquake ever recorded in the state's history. More than 3,000 people died, and more than 28,000 buildings were destroyed, including Sarah's home. The home itself was built using a floating foundation that was believed to have saved it from total collapse. The seven-story tower had completely crumbled, leaving a gaping hole in the third floor. Chimneys had fallen through the roof and all the windows had smashed. As for Sarah, she was safe, but stuck in the daisy bedroom, named for the floral motif on its windows. Despite her near brush with death, she refused to tear down the extremely damaged home and start again. Instead, she removed what rubble she could and kept as much of the original house as possible and then just kept going. But the seven-storey tower was not rebuilt along with several other rooms just blocked off. So instead of building up, she built out. Over nearly 40 years, Sarah Winchester was busy building a mysterious mansion that stands to this day. 
She passed away in September 5th, 1922, at which point the construction immediately stopped. Sarah's niece inherits $3,000, the contents and personal possessions of both Sarah's homes, and the income of a nearly 200,000 trust fund for the remainder of her life. Her staff was left something each in her will, and the land sells easily, but not the house. The home took some work because people were afraid of it. Eventually, a local aristocrat, John Brown, purchased it for a measly $120,000. John and his wife, Mamie Brown, planned to create a park featuring a backity-back railway, one of the earliest known wooden roller coasters designed and initially built by John at amusement park in Canada. But due to local restrictions and an overwhelming public interest in the house, they shifted their focus to open the house to the public and the roller coaster was never built. There's a belief that clues to the home's true meaning are hidden in the ballroom, the Shakespeare windows and the iron gates. The theory suggests that Sarah was a member of the mystic society like the Rosicrucians or a secret society like the Freemasons or possibly both. In October of 1924, master magician Harry Houdini visited the Winchester estate during his nationwide spiritualism tour. His intention for the visit? To debunk the legends and lore that were circulating about Sarah's Winchester mystery home. He left with more questions than answers. Many tour guides of the Winchester Mystery House bypassed the corridors on the third floor. It was reported that footsteps and unfamiliar voices were heard on the third floor, but no sign of living people were seen in the area. Over the years, the house was open to the public. Many sightings of figures, feeling of coldness and unknown presences were reported. The frequent phantom that tourists and guides reportedly see in the house was a man with jet black hair. He looked like a former handyman of the house because he was always seen pushing a wheelbarrow or repairing fireplaces. Some believe the home was not haunted but Sarah herself and the expansion of the home was to give the spirits haunting her somewhere that they could find peace. I think Sarah was a wonderful woman who was way ahead of her time. Let's be honest, if a man did what she did, there wouldn't be any question. He would be a visionary. But she was a woman in the 18 and 1900s with money. And I do truly believe that she believes that she was haunted. And her love for architecture was a fantastic way to deal with the grief of losing her only child and the man she adored. If ever you wonder what the mind of a heartbroken woman looks like, take a walk through the halls in the Winchester Mystery House. What do you think of that? That was a good one. Yeah. 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 Um, if you said there yeah. that if a man did it, he would be a visionary. Yeah. I don't know if a man built a stairs to nowhere <laughs> or put a window in that was for the light but put it on the inside or did any of the wild and wonderful things that didn't seem to properly come to their full fruition. I'm not sure that he would be called a visionary with the lads on the golf club. Okay. Right, I right. reckon there's a few other choice <laughs> names that that man would receive. But see, okay. Sarah grew up very close to Yale, and Yale was known for... Physically or emotionally? Well, pretty much both, really. <laughs> she, because she grew up in such close quarters to people who were in the Freemasons and were in the Rosicrucians, she just had this different outlook on life. So I think she just saw things from a different angle, because when I'm looking at the... I genuinely thought there's a couple of skylights in the house, but there is one that's on the inside, on the floor. And when I looked at it, I thought it was strange... And then I realised she was actually just utilising light that was coming in from downstairs. Oh, so the downstairs rooms had light coming in their windows, but the top ah. ones didn't. So to anyone else listening to the story... She was just 
Releasing the inner light. Yeah, well, yeah. Maybe it's a it's a euphemism for the ghost. Just release your inner light. Yeah, there you go. I think a lot of the stuff that she did in the house was purely because she just wanted to get into architecture. And women I, just didn't do it back then. I think it's because of the good spirits that you were talking yeah. about. Um, I have a list of possible good spirits. There okay, you go. Uh, first would be a whiskey. Yes. Second would be a vodka. Okay. You see where I'm going with this? I thought you were going to say Casper. I'm actually really, I'm really surprised. No, Casper's a ghost. Yeah. Whiskey's a spirit. <laughs> Casper the friendly scotch it could work well if ever I have my own line Casper on the rocks <laughs> yeah can you imagine asking the barman although they've been asked for weirder what else did I say who's this Marion one her niece yeah I, yeah I'd like to be her niece I know right how, how many all the monies please big dollar bills so, basically she wanted her family to be close to her and I found out afterwards when I had written most of, the, most of this because I saw the part at the end where it was like she inherited from her two houses and I think she actually had two or three houses but as she got that little bit older and the arthritis really started to set in, I think one of her sisters also was a little bit ill. So she went to go and live with one of her sisters because it was more convenient for her and for her sister. Supposedly, the construction never ended. That's what the story says. But even in her own writings, she did say that there were a couple of months where she just sent off all the builders and all the workers. She just needed time to think about the next project. So she did go and live with her sister for a while. There were times where she went and done some travelling. I think there was like three or four years between William dying and then her buying the house in Santa Clara that she just went travelling to all the places that she and he had been before. I genuinely think this woman was completely distraught. Now, if she thinks she was haunted by spirits, who am I to tell her she wasn't? But I genuinely think she used architecture as an outlet to try and deal with grief. You sound like me. What? You're all logical. I, think. I know. What is this? What are you doing? You're <laughs> Do you know what the it show. Is? I have a lot of respect for her because I know I know if I had money to do things that I wanted to do and I've dealt with grief and I know if I if I had the money, I would have gone off and done crazy things, but I didn't and I don't and I couldn't, but I would have. But why it's so crazy for her to have done it is because it was the late 1800s, early 1900s and yeah. women just didn't do the stuff like that. No, how dare they? How very dare they? What's a spigot? A spigot is a drain. So basically where you put the plug hole in for the bath. Oh, yes. I did ask you this. Now that I've recalled and got the answer, I, I wish I had No, it's, it's the, it's the drain yeah. plug in a, in a bath. So, so she had 13 baths. Riveting podcast material here. <laughs> You're learning. So basically she had all these bathrooms, but only one of them was actually functioning. And then the shower room that she had was separate. Now, showers at the time were not a thing. Mm. No one had showers. But, but she had these big, massive cast iron baths. I think she was four foot nine, maybe four foot eight. She was teeny tiny. So you'd see her shower. and you'd That's like, why the steps you were telling me the other day, that's why the steps aren't big. Yeah. You were saying because she was arthritic. But they, they were put in there before she was arthritic. Yes. But so, they were put in there because she's four foot nothing. And if they were any taller... She'd be like a little puppy trying to climb up the stairs. <laughs> of all the staircases that she had, every staircase had 13 steps. Yeah. And as her arthritis got worse, she found it even more difficult to climb those. So there is a staircase in the house. I watched a tour guide on it on YouTube. Uh, it was actually another, I think his name is, oh my gosh, or something like that. He's brilliant. He's one of those ghost hunters that isn't very, oh my God, what just just my leg? This is crazy. He was just, he's just kind of like, Cool. So I have my spirit box here. Anyone want to come and talk to me? But I was listening to his tour guide and she said there's seven turns in this one staircase to get up one level. It's literally very nonchalantly lift your foot up and that's the height of the stairs. So there was like 47 
47 steps to get up the stairs. Most houses have like, what, 15, 20 steps? Oh, no, not I've even. never in my life counted them. <laughs> and now it really pains me that I don't know how many steps the house I grew up in has. I know we have 21 outside because I count them with the kids when we walk them. But uh, that's yeah. the only reason I even know how many we have. Yeah, yeah. I think most houses have anywhere between like 11 and 14 or something. But the staircase, there is a movie called The Winchester House. Or I, actually, sorry, I think it's just called Winchester. And in the movie, the camera is doing an aerial view. And it's not quite what the staircase actually looks like because the staircase overlaps on itself. You're mm. literally nearly touching off the ceiling with your head. It's yeah. exceptionally claustrophobic looking. Oh, and the Hall of Hell. Um, it sounds terrifying, but I think she actually used it with like a sauna kind of effect. So there was one hall with four fires in it. And if you had all of them blazing, the heat in that room would be literally just like a sauna. It'd be lo- it actually sounds lovely. Slightly carbon monoxide Yeah. Do love good sound. A famous, a famous, uh, you know, canary is... Singing away. Singing away. <laughs> he's, he's, you know, the one that's on the telly telling you about but carbon monoxide. But you know monoxide. what? She had 10,000 pounds of glass in the house. Surely she could have opened a couple of windows. Yeah. I think that, but I'm not sure people knew what carbon monoxide was in the 1800s. No. And she did actually live to a very good age, which I think is hilarious because there's another couple of stories I've been looking at around about the same year and how people actually survived to their 60s and 70s. I do not know. Right. That was quite a long story. Um, Unless you have any other notes that you want to. No, you covered them all. 18, 3, Oh, yeah. I'll have to Google what a floating foundation is. I'm so, I'm so parental that I nearly said a floaty foundation. <laughs> okay. So I think we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I thoroughly, clearly... 20 set a 20 minute story i clearly enjoyed doing it and um, if you have any recommendations or any comments do uh, dm us on instagram the instagram page is what's the story ghost if you have any personal experiences or stories you would like to share yourself the email is what's the story ghost at gmail.com and i think we're all right there we'll see you next time exit jingle <laughs> i'm just gonna do a dance that's what i'm gonna do when we're ending for the, for the mic and <laughs> let's bring you down <laughs> bye bye